Uh, reading Psalms 42 and 43 on page 400. For the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. It'd be a great help if you could keep your Bibles open on that page um, as we turn and look at it together now. But before we do so, let's pray. Father, you alone know how each one of us is feeling here right now. And we pray that as we look at your word, it would be a great comfort to our hearts. And would it lift our eyes to you this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the January blues. If you go on Twitter tonight, you will find thousands of mentions to the January blues. Tips on how to avoid them, planning ahead for next year, people wallowing in them, people resenting the famous January blues. And many of us here today will be in the same boat. Perhaps it was a particularly hard Christmas with the family. Or perhaps the thought of going back to work tomorrow is just unbearable. Or another year alone has just left you feeling bitter. Or maybe just the contrast of being with the family over Christmas has left you feeling pretty sad as you come back to your empty house after Christmas. And whether you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or whether you've been a Christian for 30 years, escaping the blues is difficult. And for some of us, that will sound strange because we've had a great Christmas and we're relishing the challenge of 2015. But if we're realistic with ourselves, we know that this year won't be all plain sailing. And it certainly won't be for all our brothers and sisters here at Westbury who will need our help. But why do we often feel so low? I guess if we're honest with ourselves, it's because life is hard. The thought of repaying that massive credit card debt. The prospect of knuckling down to find yet another job this year. The anxiety of that relative suffering in hospital. The sheer number of things to worry about in life are just overwhelming. And if you're a Christian here today, there's lots at stake, isn't there? Because naturally, feeling low can lead us to stop putting our trust in God. It knocks our confidence in his goodness towards us. It can make us doubt his ability to keep his promises, to bring us home, to be with him forever. And so what do we do? Well, we drift from him, don't we? Until eventually, we just chuck in the towel and we give up. And if I'm honest, I feel pretty out of my depth speaking on this issue. And I'm really worried about being blasé about the difficult situations that many people will be going through here today. But we've just read a couple of psalms in which life really is very hard for the psalmist. And like many of us, he's just toying with the idea of of chucking in the towel when it comes to putting his hope in God for the future. So we trust that today, what God has spoken and revealed to us in these psalms will be good medicine for us here. So if you look down at 42 verse 1, where we get a picture of the situation that the psalmist finds himself in. He writes... As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And we get a glimpse here, don't we, of where um, wildlife presenter David Attenborough gets his inspiration from as the psalmist describes the scene in detail. And we can picture the deer, can't we, going through the arid landscape without water, wandering for days with no water in sight. He's desperate. He needs it to survive. And in the same way, the psalmist longs for even a tiny bit of God's presence and to know and feel that presence with him. But God, it seems, is nowhere to be found. He feels a million miles away. He can't remember the last time he had an answer to prayer. It seems months ago that he had a quiet time in which God vaguely seemed to speak to him in any, say, in any way. And God just doesn't seem very relevant or indeed present in the workplace. And when we find him in verse 3, we see a situation means he's sitting down and tucking into a bowl of his own tears. My tears have been my food day and night. He's so desperate for even the slightest sense of God being with him 
that he's totally lost his appetite. Nothing appeals to him anymore. And then to make matters worse, those around him pile on the, pile on the pressure too. Where is your God? They taunt all day long. The kind of taunt that comes as your colleagues subtly ask how your God could have let so many school children die in Pakistan. Or the kind of jibe that comes indirectly as your school teacher talks of the existence of God as just being like a myth or a fairy tale. And to make matters worse, it never used to be like this. God once felt so close and so real. Look down at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. The nostalgia of the past, we think it's going to make things better, dwelling on how things used to be. But in fact, it seems that it just piles on the pressure in the present. God seemed so real back then. But was it all psychological? And even if he was there back then, well, where is he now? Remember that conference a few years ago where you felt so close to God. The times when you'd come home and literally want to jump for joy in your room because the gospel was so precious to you. How you used to get up at 5.30 to read your Bible before you went to work because reading God's word was such a delight to you. But why, why do things feel so different now? Why does God feel so far off? Well, the psalmist, he's a bit like us in many ways, isn't he? Because life is hard, and at times it feels as if God isn't anywhere to be seen. And a bit like the psalmist, our knee-jerk reaction is to listen to ourselves. We listen to ourselves, don't we, as we lie in bed at night, and when our mind goes on standby, mulling over just how bad our life is and how much better things used to be in the past. We listen to ourselves as we replay our friends' comments over and over in our heads, the subtle taunts becoming our own question as we ask, well, hang on a minute, where is God in all of this? It's those thoughts that come to us the first thing in the day as we wake up and dread the day ahead. You don't choose to have them, they just happen. And that's listening to yourself. Now, I don't know much about photography, but I know that on a decent camera, you have two settings for focusing the camera. You have an automatic focus and you have a manual focus. It's easier to use the camera using the automatic focus setting because it focuses on the biggest thing in the picture, the thing in the foreground of the shot. And in the same way, when we listen to ourselves, it's like we're in automatic focus. We instinctively focus on the big things, the big problems that are in the foreground of our lives, which then in turn dictate how we feel. And so what we'll do, we'll simply feel crushed and we'll feel downcast. Well, the big question is, how are we going to keep going, putting our hope in God in the Christian life? Well, today I want to focus on a couple of ways these Psalms help us when we find ourselves automatically focusing on the hardships of life and feel downcast. And so the first is, God is your ultimate safety, so get real with yourself about him. God is your ultimate safety, so get real with yourself about him. I don't know if you saw in verse 5, the psalmist changes tack, doesn't he? He stops listening to himself, stops worrying about the past, and does something about it. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. The psalmist sees the danger of letting his feelings dictate. 
He sees what's at stake if he carries on just listening to himself. He'll stop hoping in God for the future. He'll stop believing that one day God will bring him back to a place where he'll praise him again. And he'll just drift away from God. And so verse 5, it's as if he switches the camera setting from automatic focus to manual focus. Now on manual focus, you get to choose what you focus on in the picture by changing the focal length, by twisting this little knob here. And so suddenly, the psalmist is able to focus on the God who stands behind the situations in his life. And what does he do? Well, he self-consciously questions his feelings, and he talks to himself about this God. He gets real with himself about two particular aspects of God. And the first, at the bottom of verse 5, he says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour, my saviour. The psalmist deliberately reminds himself that with God, his life is ultimately safe, despite his current circumstances. And for us, isn't that so much more significant as because of the fact that we have a saviour who in Jesus has promised to be with us until the end of the age? A saviour who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. A saviour who went to infinite lengths to show us that he is always for us by dying for us. And on the cross, we see we have a saviour whose heart is for us. A saviour who has promised to one day bring us home to be with him forever. There's some big promises, but the psalmist goes on, doesn't he? He goes on to tell himself to put his hope in my saviour and my God. He's putting his hope in a God whose heart is for him a saviour, but also his mighty hand too. He is God. And trusting in a God whose heart and whose hand is for us, is the ultimate safe place to be. So he gets real with himself about who God is, because our automatic focus never focuses on the ultimate safety we have in God. And as a result, we just miss half the picture, the more important and the more glorious aspect of the picture. So we start to get why he questions his feelings, don't we? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Because we look at our lives and we look at the psalmist's life and we think that feeling downcast is a totally natural way to feel, given how, li- how hard life is. But when we refocus our vision to see God as our ultimate safety, then all of a sudden we start to see how unnatural it is to feel downcast when this kind of God is for us. The, the psalmist doesn't provide us, does he, with ten fancy tips for ge- beating the January blues like you'd find on Twitter. He simply demonstrates to us that, for the Christian, the blues don't really match up. And maybe for you, God just feels absent at the moment. There's no evidence of him at work in your life. And maybe you feel guilty because of that. And there might be a point for you this year, or for someone close to you, where everything will have seemed to have gone pear-shaped. Life might seem unbearable or fragile. It might feel painful. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great preacher of the last century, once wrote, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Friends, we have a great God with whom our lives are safe. And so we must flick to manual focus and self-consciously and deliberately focus on him. I wonder when was the last time you sat down and gave yourself a good talking to about this God? Or when was the last time you deliberately put on a Christian album in the car 
as you're driving on the M4 with words that mean you can tell yourself the truth about God. Just flowing through life and listening to ourselves will blur our vision of who God is. But getting real with ourselves about him reminds us of reality and enables us to keep hoping in him for the future. If the psalmist thought that was going to solve the problem, he was wrong, wasn't he? And in fact, so are we. If we think that the battle to keep trusting God's promises for the future is going to be anything but easy. Look down at verse 6. The psalmist carries on. He says, my soul is downcast within me. We're back to where we started, aren't we? Life is still hard. And at every moment, we switch back into automatic focus. The psalmist here, he finds himself in the far north of Israel, in the heights of Hermon, by the river Jordan, miles from Jerusalem, the place where God had chosen to make himself known. His location makes him feel as if God has left him alone, has forgotten him. And you might be able to resonate with the psalmist's feelings in verse 7. He says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, I remember as a, as a kid on the north coast of Cornwall in the, in the freezing water on the, the bodyboard for the very first time. And my super keen dad um, wanted me to get me surfing from the age of about two. So he gives me a helpful shove to get on a wave. And I start on the wave. And all of a sudden, I catch it. And I think, great. And then I lean on the front of the board. All goes pizza on wrong. And I dive into the wave. Totally wiped out. Totally disorientated. Disillusioned. Overwhelmed. And swallowing gallons of seawater. But verse 7 is a really helpful image, isn't it? As how life can feel sometimes. Totally overwhelming. Worried about our job future. Worried about our kids' security. Overwhelmed with the thought of preparing the upcoming talk. Worried if we're even a Christian anymore because we feel so far from God. Gutted about those friends who bailed on us and didn't come to the carol service. Struggling away with that project with no end in sight. Your peers outperforming you in every area and you just feel useless. To top it all off, we just can't see God in any of it. He's forgotten us. Should we just give up hope? But as if his situation wasn't already enough, it seems as the psalmist is going under some kind of physical suffering as well. Down in verse 10, he says, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. And don't we know that too? Aren't the days when the cold hits or we're in bed with flu seem so much harder not to be downcast on? And then what about when someone we love is maybe knocked off their bike or we get the bad results back from the doctor about that MRI scan? And then to top it all off, at the start of Psalm 43, he feels unjustly treated, doesn't he? Look down at verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. There's nothing worse, is there, than being unfairly treated and having no one to fight your corner. Having the blame pinned on you for something you never said or did and being powerless to prove otherwise. And like the psalmist, life so often leaves us feeling low. It often seems like God has forgotten us or maybe even rejected us. And having fought hard to keep hoping in God, it seems like the Psalms is just back at a square one again. But thankfully, these Psalms give us a second help when we find ourselves automatically focusing on the hardships of life and feel downcast. 
And that second thing is, God is your ultimate safety, so get real with him about yourself. God is your ultimate safety, so get real with him about yourself. And like the psalmist, we've seen that we have a big tendency to automatically focus on the immediate, yet probably half-true realities of our lives. In the last two stanzas, the, the psalmist gives us two pictures of God, which, if you like, switch him to manual focus and help him to keep trusting in God. So the first is in verse 9. Start of verse 9. I say to God, my rock. I say to God, my rock. The psalmist is stuck, isn't he, in the raging waters of life. The seas are crashing all around him, threatening to drown him, to put out any remaining hope of God. He feels like he's floundering, treading water with nowhere to turn. It feels like God has forgotten him. And then we get to verse 9, and as if the psalmist just looks around and he looks down at his feet, he's not floundering, he's not treading water, he's standing firmly on the rock. On those surfing holidays as a kid, I used to, well, we used to visit a little town called Port Mellon on those kind of stormy days, which meant that even British people couldn't go on the beach. And when, when the wind was coming in from the southwest, you'd get some massive waves breaking onto the sea defences and crashing over onto the road. And even standing away at a fair distance, you'd feel the force of the wind and the waves buffeting the land. And as a child, to focus on those waves and all the destruction that they could do was pretty terrifying. But just looking down and seeing terra firma, seeing solid rock beneath your feet, changed the way that you looked at the waves. I wasn't about to get swept away. I was standing firmly on solid rock. And in the same way, the psalmist looks around and it simply feels like he's on his own, about to drown, but he remembers to look down and he remembers he's safe. God's got him. He's in control. He'll bring him home. And with his eyes fixed firmly on the rock, he can stand confidently and with great hope in this life. That's not to say that there aren't great waves crashing around him. That's not to say that life is easy or comfortable for the Christian and that the doubts don't keep rolling in wave after wave. The second picture is in Psalm 43 verse 2 where the psalmist writes, You are God my stronghold. My stronghold. And the psalmist, he surveys his life and it simply feels like one big battlefield. He looks around and all he can see are enemies left, right and centre. People who are out to get him. People who are against him. And so he feels rejected by the God who he thought was for him. But then at the start of verse 2, it's almost as if he pulls his head back to try and see a bigger picture. And he notices as he does so that rock, solid rock, comes into his peripheral vision as he looks back. And as he pulls his head back further and further, he realizes he's looking through an arrow slit. He's in a stronghold. He's in a place of safety. He's in a fortress with 65 meters of solid rock in between him and his enemies and all that could bring him down. He is totally 100% safe. Far from having rejected him, God is with him. He surrounds him. He's his ultimate safety. He will bring him home. And it's these images of God that give the psalmist great confidence to get real with God about himself and how he's feeling. I wonder if you notice what follows each of those statements. Let's go back to verse 9 in Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? 
And then 43 verse 2. You are God my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go out mourning, oppressed by the enemy? I've got to admit, when I first looked at these Psalms, these verses really threw me. Because for some reason I've got it into my head that with prayer I've got to be super spiritual. To pretend that I totally trust God and I don't have any questions about what he's doing in my life. It's as if I worry I'll hurt his feelings if I admit I've got a few queries. <clears throat> so it was a real surprise when I found the psalmist not only getting real with himself about God, but also getting real with God about himself. And we know, don't we, that God longs for us to be childlike. And if a child wants to know why, they don't pretend to know all the answers. They ask why. And if you're a Christian here today, what a comfort it is to know that we can safely ask our Father in heaven why things are the way they are. When we approach him, we don't need to be super spiritual and pretend we understand. If it feels like God has abandoned you, it's okay to ask why. If it feels like he's forgotten you, then query away. If it feels like he's rejected you, then ask him why. And the reason we can do so is because with God, our lives are safe with him, even when it doesn't feel like it. And with the psalmist, when we get down on our knees, we show faith by getting real with God about how we're feeling. Perhaps you're not a Christian here today. And the challenge for you, I guess, is don't you long for this kind of security in life? Don't you long for this kind of hope for the future rooted in the rock-solid promises of a rock-solid God, which is the only safe place to be in life? You might have noticed that the psalmist, he's not sorted, is he, by the end of the psalm? He's in the same place as he started. He's, he's feeling pretty downcast, isn't he? Perhaps he's even in a worse place. And frankly, the reality for us too is going to be similar. Our lives are going to be a constant struggle to manually focus our vision from our circumstances to our ultimate safety. And for some of us, that battle will be harder than others. And we'll need each other to speak those truths into our lives. But keep going, putting your hope in God, because there will be a day when the battle is over. And that's what the psalmist was looking forward to, the day when he'll be back home Look in 43, verse 3. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. So, in the midst of the January blues, in the midst of this year, let's keep on putting our hope and our confidence in this God who will bring us safely home, where we'll never be able to take our eyes off the beauty of our Saviour for all eternity. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are our rock and our stronghold. Thanks so much for the confidence that we can have that you will one day bring us home to be with you because of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that you please give us the faith to keep hoping you for the future, especially when life gets tough this year. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll ask Ben to uh, join me again at the front. I've got a couple of questions here. One is a kind of question of clarification. Uh, says this, Ben, what does it mean to be brought to God's holy mountain, to the place where he dwells? Verse, uh, Psalm 43, verse uh, 3. Yeah, what does that no, phrase mean? Great question. So if you look back at um, Psalm the 42, verse 6, we get an idea of where the psalmist is, maybe geographically. So it seems like he's in the, the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. Um, that's about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. Um, and Jerusalem is where God's temple was, where God had chosen to make himself known. And the temple was built on the holy mountain, Mount Zion, um, which is a reference to that in verse 3. Uh, and that symbolically was the place where God dwelt. And I think we, we see from elsewhere in the psalm that that's not only where God was. In verse 8 of chapter 42, we see that, that God is with the psalmist even in that moment. Um, but symbolically, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was the place where God dwelt. Thank you. Now the question here is, um, if it's out of sorts with the Christian life to be downcast, is it wrong, is it sinful to feel like this? Mm. That is such a good question. and It's one that I've been wrestling with. I think... Our experience is that that's what the Christian life is like, isn't it? As in, we do feel downcast. The good news is that in heaven, when we live in a sinless world, we will see God for who he is, and our eyes will never be taken off of him. And therefore, we'll never feel downcast. But in this life, there are moments when we, <clears throat> sorry, we do feel downcast because problems are hard, and problems are difficult, and life is very hard. Um, and therefore... There are, there are times when we do feel downcast. But I think, in answer to your question, I don't know. I don't know if it's sinful or not. Um, I don't know if you've got a word on that. But i just say something about res- the response to that. I think there is a temptation in there to, to feel guilty um, when we feel downcast as a result. But even in those moments of guilt, I think the call in this psalm is to, is to, to raise our eyes beyond our guilt. Because I think the danger for me is that I can feel guilty that God doesn't feel present in my life, that he feels absent. Um, but actually, I can start wallowing in my guilt rather than lifting my eyes to see the glorious Saviour I have and the guilt that he takes um, when he dies on the cross for me. But I don't know if you've got any more thoughts on that, Mike. I don't think any particular wisdom. But I guess there are two things. One is I, I can wallow in my own guilt um, when actually I need to look to the Saviour who's forgiven my sin. Mm. It means I can press on. I'm accepted. Don't be so self-absorbed. But there's the other thing of just feeling like he's little bit distance and life is hard and you wonder where he is um i don't think it's it's wrong or sinful to ask the question the psalms are full of that question where are you lord Mm. um but we're told again and again that we're not yet there we're not yet home the journey has begun he's got us Uh, we don't know all the answers but we know that he's taking us home and what we're called to do again and again is to is to hold on to the promises he's made and uh, and trust him and I, one of our, I suppose one of our dangers is we, we want to live by sight. We want it to look all sorted now. And the, the, the scriptures call us to live by faith and to trust that one day all be see, all be sorted. Just a, a final question, Ben. Yeah. Is, um, you call us to refocus on him where we meant to look. 
Good question. Um, I think it's a standard. It's a standard answer to a question. Look, look at His Word. That's where God's chosen to reveal Himself to us. So part of it will just mean, okay, well, reading our Bibles each day. But it's not just that. Um, I think it's more than that. And I think there are loads of practical ways in which we can um, see God as He's revealed Himself in His Word, and we can remind ourselves of those truths, not just in a kind of a passive way where we float along, but more in an active way where we distinctively choose to remind ourselves by speaking out loud to ourselves um, and maybe getting up each morning at the beginning of the day and saying, instead of letting those thoughts just drift in about how hard the day is going to be and all those problems that you're facing, choose instead to remind yourself about God is your rock and God is your stronghold. And pictures are great, aren't they? Images are really helpful ways of kind of latching on to the things that we know about God. So we're refocusing to look at God and all he's done for us in Christ rather than the big problems in our life. Just say a little bit more about that, Ben, because I think my friends would say this is just some kind of spiritual coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. This is just a kind of fantasy comfort blanket. Uh, You focus on these ideas of God to keep you going through tough times. I have another method. Uh, It involves going for long walks or whatever it is. Your method is to do this weird spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. What's to say this isn't just kind of spiritual comfort blanket wishful thinking stuff? Yeah, I think the difference is, is that the Bible says that these things aren't, isn't just a spiritual comfort blanket, but these things are, this is real reality. So when we, when we just focus on the big problems of this life, we're only looking at half the truth. But when we see and focus on the Lord, then we're seeing the bigger picture, if you like. Um, and, and how do we know? Well, again, I think it comes back to looking at how the, <clears throat> the Bible and God's word is rooted in, rooted in history, rooted in the person of the Lord Jesus. Um, and I'll say whether we're strong, if we think that Christianity is ever just a, a crutch, then I'll go back to look at, um, this, is, this is not a myth or a fairy tale, this is, this is real historical stuff um, that really did happen. I don't know if you want anything to add. No, that's, that's great. <laughs> thank you. I haven't got things to add. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. Thanks, Mike. Go and sit down.